0: Welcome, 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 welcome. You're You're listening listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. I'm Zakari Wallace, the Digital Communications Associate and Social Media Manager here at Democracy NC. Today, I'm interviewing our organizing program manager, Desmara Gatewood. Desmara Gatewood has spent the majority of her adult life organizing and advocating for equitable policies and practices. As a Durham native and graduate of North Carolina Central University, Desmara's southern roots inform their passion for engaging both rural and urban communities in political advocacy. The subject of today's interview will be on Desmara's latest publication, Love for the Black Failure which was recently published by Indie Week, where they talk about the importance of honoring Black young people who struggle as highly as we honor those who achieve. As organizing program manager, Des seeks to merge her experience as a political organizer and her knowledge of change theory to further Democracy NC's mission to help North Carolina achieve meaningful pro-democracy reform. Stick with us as we deep dive into the mind of our very own Desmara Gatewood.
1: I'm Desmara Gatewood. She, her, they, them. And I am from Durham, North Carolina, but I went to high school in Oxford, North Carolina. And then I came back and went to school again in Durham, North Carolina, at Central. So I'm I'm Durham-ish, Dermite-ish. I am i am durham ish durhamite ish i do not know. Um, but I I love Durham. I love the triangle. I love North Carolina. Um and started working at Democracy, North Carolina in 2019. And it's, it's just been wonderful. I pride myself in being a parent to an amazing 11 year old named Everett Rose who's just so awesome and cool and inspires me every day. And being at Democracy North Carolina just seems like the right place for me right now as I'm growing as an organizer and even now in my more internal roles. And so it, it's all aligning well. In your article for
0: Indie Week, The Love for the Black Failure, you describe yourself as neurodivergent, Black, and a non binary writer. And I'm curious, how do you see those identities and really who you are? um, How do you see them
1: influencing the way that you show up in social movement work? Um, It's really cool how it kind of informs what I do and how I do, but it also informs why I do what I do um, because actually having um, a lot of the, I guess, challenges and adversity that comes with being at the intersection of all of those oppressed identities, it gives me a uh, an experiential perspective um, to apply when I'm when I'm actually engaging with the community, when I'm actually thinking about like systems and complexes that need to be dismantled or even things that need to be built. Um, I'm able to kind of harken back on my experience as a black person, as a queer person, just matriculating through school systems and being a kid in the South in the '90s, um, and and so it it gives me a lot of perspective, but it also allows me a lot of different strengths and and talents and insight um, that some of my CISET neurotypical peers, um, aren't really, uh, I would say even blessed with, (laughs) um, so I'm, I'm blessed to have an opportunity to think differently, to see things, um, and see certain solutions that people may not see or certain problems that people may not see, um, and be able to find creative and innovative ways to approach movement work that, uh, cishet or neurotypical, people or uh, privileged white people may not necessarily um, be able to identify with or even be able to execute in the same ways. So um, it took a while, I think, for me to be outward and celebratory about something that um, for a long time inhibited me from many opportunities. Um, But now I I appreciate being in environments where I, I can be Accommodated and celebrated, and because of that, it allows me to use my skill set, or to maximize my skill set um, that I've been blessed with um, with the neurodivergent aspects of how I think and how I talk and how I um, visualize and strategize, um, and being able to apply that to movement work and being able to make that work um, work for other people like me.
0: In a way, you feel like all of these different identities have really widened your
1: lens or given you a perspective that maybe others don't have. True, absolutely, and um, I think, it, like I said, it's 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 this ironic or serendipitous combination that it. I literally have the experience, um, and I've been on the receiving end, um, and obviously not in as much of an extreme as um, some of my peers, Um, but I've been on the receiving end of a lot of the challenges and the oppression and the bigotry and the discrimination that comes with being at those intersections. Um, And at the same time, it does give me, um, I would say even certain advantages when being able to problem solve. So having all that, I think creates like this, this perfect package or this perfect tool belt for approaching movement work and having like a, a built-in why and a how and a what. Um, and so, so it all works together. So yeah, I think all of those identities have come into play in a way that I didn't even really account for, um, probably until I wrote this and until I've had conversations like these.
0: For sure. That's really beautiful, the way that you put that all coming together and like, you know, the the clarity that you have, it's it's an advantage and there can be disadvantage and you've experienced those. Um, but even still, you're not only speaking true to power, but you're really claiming like, hey, this is me and then this is what I know to be true, and this is how um I'm gonna orient myself towards. The world, my mission work, my personal life, and and everything, because you know I'm standing in the fullness um, of who I am, and so I just really want to applaud you for that vulnerability. Is how I see it, and it's also strength. Um, I think vulnerability is strength. How are you able to to cultivate that strength, not just to be vulnerable, like with yourself? Obviously, that's really personal, but with everyone
1: else. No, I have not always been like that. And if anything, I was, there was a long time where I really ascribed to what people would call respectability politics, where you would show up as whatever the most palatable version of a Black person that you could be, depending on whatever the setting was. And I was indirectly taught that don't want to go too much in depth about the things about you that may not be as, uh, that may not be as marketable. Um, Or that may not get you a job or may not make you seem as impressive unless you're telling it from an adversity perspective where it's like oh look where I was now look what I overcame and here I am, Um, but it was actually being in movement spaces with other black brown queer working class people. Who were bold enough to introduce themselves in these ways and talk about those identities and use those identities as a framework for justifying and and um, affirming their role in their movement work. It's one thing to hear someone say, "I'm you know trying to dismantle classism because I read in a book this this this," and it's another thing for someone to say, "Like I grew up in a food desert, had to struggle." to make sure that we had the bare necessities before even thinking about what they could do to make sure I could get in an AP class. You're around people that are that vulnerable and and that are just so radical in how they wear themselves on the outside like that. Knowing that they're sacrificing being eliminated from certain spaces and being cut out of certain opportunities, that really does start to rub off on you and you really do start to become empowered. So I I used to be in rooms with people from um the I mean different movements, Black Lives Matter's movements, Dream Defenders, BYP, uh, student farm workers, queer people and they just came in and one of the things that I just had so much I mean, awe Was not even just what they were saying, but the fact that they were just so unapologetic about who they were. And that became like a resounding theme in the movement around the 2010s, unapologetic. Started to internalize that and say, you know what, I can't try to make spaces for places if I'm not even making space for myself. And, you know, I can't be out here telling people that we need to, you know, create just that we need to dismantle structures that are excluding people like me if they don't, if if I'm not even showing up as myself. That is its own form of resistance. Existence is resistance when you are willing to just be bold in a space and be like, yes, I am queer, I am Black, I am Southern, I'm a parent, I'm a financial aid student, all those things. Because the reality is it actually shouldn't have to be radical for me to do that, but until it is not radical, I'm going to do it, and hopefully that'll uh, create spaces for other young people that may be looking at me and saying, "Wow, maybe I'll say I'm neurodivergent now." And I have seen it; I've seen it happen in Democracy Summer, literally this past couple of summers. I've seen, "Oh, I'm neurodivergent." I heard you say it, so and I mean I didn't know it was going to be that quick of a cause and an effect, but that's what happened with me, and so that's why I do it, and um, people. People modeled and I followed.
0: That's so powerful. I mean, I'm getting chills over here. <laughs> oh my gosh. And and for our listeners, Democracy Summer is our annual um internship program. I I think that's so powerful. And I really connected to a lot of what you were saying about respectability politics and how that personally to me, that's it's a black hole. <laughs> it's it's like a it's it's not a spectrum of, oh, you know, maybe I'll just code switch or maybe I'll just not have locks or maybe I'll just not wear my natural hair. it's it's It can go further than we can imagine. And um, I appreciate what you said about it's about what's making you marketable. It's not just about being acceptable or being with the status quo. And I personally seen that a lot going to product PWIs, Predominantly White Institutions, For college and uh, undergrad and even more recently grad school it's there is the pressure on Okay, are you going to show up, are you going to be real, not just being unapologetic but realizing that existence is resistance. It took me back to a couple years ago when I saw, it was like two of the Black Lives Matter founders. They were speaking at Duke University and they asked the crowd, like, what have you done today to support Black lives? And I was in the beginning of my <laughs> social justice movement work journey. And of course I was organizing on campus around racial justice, and all these things, but I sat there and I really was like, oh my gosh, have I been doing enough? What have I done? Like, you know, I'm trying to quantify and qualify all these things. And like you said, I just sat there and I'm like, hold up. I'm really here right now. <laughs> I really woke up. I really decided to, to care and to show up and to be me and to come here. And, you know, the list goes on. And I really had to just stop myself because academia in particular, there's such like a huge, the, the way that you're learning about things, there's such a level of detachment. I think it can be sometimes. And so you're you're learning and you're reading books and you're going to lectures and you're hearing about problems that exist somewhere out there in the world. But it's like, Hey, <laughs> I'm going through this too. Kind of separate yourself from those things sometimes. So um, I think that's so great for, especially young people to hear. Like When you're doing the work, it's it's so empowering to show up in your full self.
1: It's El Cabo Medina. That is the, uh, that's the name of an author out of um, Berkeley who created a text called a student guide to community organizing and um, she in many ways kind of personifies this conversation we're having right now, because she basically merges the praxis of organizing and the theory Um, In a way that is so powerful and she talks about how her identities as a child of undocumented workers and the struggles that she saw growing up with ice and just how that totally shaped her perspective, but then she talks about how paradoxically. Coming into um, academia, there were some ways that she could have become separated from that identity. And so she, she really helps to guide students who are reading this text through those sometimes contradictions and discomforts of going back to the community out of academia while still acknowledging your own ties to the movement. And she just does a really good job weaving through that. And that's like one of the texts that the students in Democracy Summer used last year to use as a framework for their own experience as young organizers. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that what you're saying, where she went to school is uh, a PWI also. What you're saying is, is very real, that conflict that students of color go through with being assimilated, but also recognized that you're experiencing your own oppression and then recognizing that you're actually not that detached from what is happening in the grassroots. So there's no perfect way to tie a bow on that.
0: I do want to encourage people to go and read your article, Love for the Black Failure, again, because it talks a lot about your experiences moving through the school system and kind of struggling to thrive um, and lacking in accommodations. What you've shared so far has been so powerful and can be applied to so many different parts of life. Is there any insight that you could offer someone who is living with an undiagnosed disability or undiagnosed and unaccommodated disability? And yeah, what would that be?
1: My advice isn't necessarily for them, because it would probably require a certain level of self-awareness to even know if you have something like that. I don't think that, you know, that it, it is very difficult for me to give a message to people who are are doing all they can to survive. My, my message would be um, for them, you know, of course, you know, I see you, I love you, and I care, um, but it would more so be for the people around them, um, especially talking about children, you know, just make space for children um, and have more compassion than you have criticism have to just keep that grace and know that um, they're trying and doing the best they can so what is it that you can do to make their world um, easier instead of you trying to contort them into whatever your version of the world is so um, I think that that's just how I would hope for people to approach um, humans in general what just like we think about accommodating people in spaces, regardless of all other identities, recognize that the way people think and the way that people process and the way that people feel and respond, those are going to vary as well. And we have to be prepared um, and open-minded before passing judgment and um, reprimand to people because it is real that children, especially internalize those things and start to behave in ways that, um, can become destructive to others, but also destructive to themselves. And, um, you know, we don't want people walking around hurting, um, for reasons that we could have subverted just by being kind and welcoming.
0: Uh-huh. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate that thoughtful response and for your time today.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Dakari. And thank you for all that you're doing with this podcast and giving voices to people in this organization um, who really have things to say and share. And I appreciate the work that you're doing as well.
0: Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at democracync, or you can visit our website at democracync.org.